class of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on this second Sunday of November. While I was out watering the garden yesterday, I started thinking about my central contribution to the family's Thanksgiving feast, the turkey. It's a more complex and nuanced decision than you would think. But what made it noteworthy was that I was outside in my shirt sleeves watering the garden. Usually the second week of November has seen some rain, not a winter flooding deluge, but measurable precipitation. And none is now forecast for at least the next seven to 10 days and perhaps no rain in November. Is this just fickle mother nature messing with us? Is it a temporary alteration in the ocean currents and global high altitude winds that shape our weather versus climate? Or is this the dreaded climate change measured in micro rather than macro trends? While I'm not a climate scientist, logic says that the immediate weather is probably a result of fluctuations in the ocean and wind currents combined with, yes, combined with a changing climate. So it's a cause for concern, but not alarm. Technically, the climate is always changing. Well, yes, that's my point. You know, we don't need to panic, but we shouldn't be complacent either in areas where we know that as humans, we are contributing and we can be smarter and more effective and efficient about this. Oh, you mean global warming? No, climate change. It it doesn't necessarily mean um, that it's only a warming trend. It's, it, it's a changing, you know, global warming would be related to the weather. That's what you feel. Climate change is a more subtle, uh, longer time frame. The difference between micro, which is your weather, and macro, which is climate change, which, you know, the, the, my, my argument is um, we're not all going to be gone in 30 What about years. weather change? Can we just call it, call it weather change? Or no, does that throw a monkey wrench into that everything? That throws a monkey wrench into what you do, whether you carry an umbrella today, that's the weather, or the climate, which is the point that I'm making, which is, you know, in the last few years, it seems that our rainy season is starting later and ending later. It doesn't mean that we haven't seen the same general amount, average amount of precipitation. It just starts later and it ends later. You know, that's the climate changing. So which months we get measurable precipitation? 
Although when it's as cold as it is this morning, I was, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of over having to water the garden every other day. <clears throat> but um, I'm sure that over the next 12 months, We'll have no shortage of conjecture, no shortage, Vince, of, of opportunities to debate whether a particular phenomena is weather or climate, because both the politicians on the right and the left and their adherents are going to be trying to take a point in time and make it into a bigger argument, because exactly one year from today— we will be digesting the results of the 2020 presidential election. You can mark your calendar. And so I thought maybe we ought to talk a little bit about we're just a year out from what may be uh, a very consequential election. I don't think it's a determinative election, as a lot of people have speculated, but I do think um that it's going to be consequential. And I'm sad to say that my crystal ball is a bit cloudy about what's going to happen. You know, I'm famous for making the plan and then saying, what if? You know, in the business world, you make a plan and then you say, what if? If you're smart, if you want to stay in business, if you don't want to have be General Motors um, and have to keep borrowing money, um, <clears throat> you have to have a plan that says, okay, this is what I anticipate. And then you have to have a plan that says, what if it's underperformance or wow, what if we way overperformed? You know, because you need to modify those plans. Well, right now you, we need multiple plans because... The crystal ball, the concept that from here to 12 months from now, we really know what's going to happen or we could measure the electorate's behavior um, is an exercise for fools. Um, the, the situation is just too dynamic. And so let's talk a little this morning about that dynamism. I, I'm going to go way on a limb and say Donald Trump will probably be the Republican standard bearer. I say probably because there are parallels in the Trump situation to the Nixon situation. Nixon's impeachment followed a special prosecutor's investigation into the Watergate break-in. And Nixon was never found to be complicit in the break-in. But he was complicit in the cover-up. And in this situation... The cover-up begins with the July 25th Ukrainian call transcript being secreted in a code word super secret server. But it's not the beginning um, of the effort to get the Ukrainian government to do something that uh, John, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and their and Giuliani's business associates thought would be valuable. Not to mention Paul Manafort, who's looking for a get-out-of-jail-free card. Bill Barr is doing his level best to turn around the conclusions of the Mueller, of the Mueller report and the first uh, inve inspector general's report uh, into the conduct of the FBI regarding both the Clinton emails and the origins of the Russian investigation. But 
But, and this is an important but, Bill Barr would not hold a press conference to put his personal preemptor on the nothing-to-see-here-perfect-call script from the White House. He did not allow the Justice Department to pursue what the CIA thought um, and the DNI thought um, ought to be a a criminal, opening a criminal investigation. He didn't do that, but he would not go out in front of the cameras and declare nothing-to-see-here. Now, that makes him different than Bill, than, uh, than Nixon's Attorney General, John Mitchell, who actually went to jail, who actually perjured himself and went to prison. Bill Barr does believe in the concept of a powerful and unitary presidency. That's a 20th century concept, not one that our founders were thinking of, but not with the cult-like ferocity. For him, it's an intellectual argument. He doesn't share that cult-like ferocity that could send him to prison. And just before we go to break, let me remind you that Richard Nixon enjoyed unwavering and unquestioned loyalty among Republican members of the House and the Senate until July 2nd, 1974, when the first televised housing House Judiciary Committee hearing began. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little more about those parallels and the peril they may contain. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with my cloudy crystal ball and the comparisons between the Nixon impeachment process and the attempted impeachment process for President Trump. As I said, Nixon enjoyed unwavering and unquestioned loyalty among Republican members of the House and the Senate in 1974. He had just won a landslide re-election. I mean, this was the funny part of the whole thing, and there is a parallel there to the Trump situation as well, which is the Watergate break-in. If it had never happened, Richard Nixon would have served a second term, and we can only imagine, because his strength was in foreign policy, what might have happened? Uh, no, we don't have to imagine. There's a new HBO series called The Watchmen. Have you heard of that? Ah, uh, yes, but but and that's... they envision a alternate universe where he didn't get impeached. But they're imagining. Okay, they're they're doing exactly what I'm doing, which is speculating on what might have been if he hadn't covered up the Watergate break-in, because he was not responsible. If he had just, if he had said, you know, these people broke the law, I'm sorry they thought they were trying to help me, but they broke the law and they should pay the price, um, he would have served um, a second, full second term, and he would have uh, gone down in history with a very different um, legacy. It was, it's always the cover-up. It's like what I told my son when he was a little boy and he would do something he wasn't supposed to do and then he would try to, you know, lie his way out of it. And, you know, I never punished him as severely for what he did 
as I did for lying to me about it. But this is the same argument I heard with the whole Mueller investigation, and that didn't turn in, turn out to be true. It was all about the cover-up. It is, it is usually about the cover-up. All right, but, but he's still in office. He's still there. But 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 herein lies the difference. Okay, um, and 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 it's a it's a much more complicated argument. Um, one um, Barr was not. Uh, it believes in the unitary presidency in the concept that that President Trump very simply says Article Two says I can do whatever I want. Okay, which is even a criticism that Nikki Haley makes in a glancing blow um, in the excerpts from her book that will be out on Tuesday um, is that, you know, sometimes that not listening to your advisors is not a good thing. Okay, but but the issue, the issue surrounding the decisions or the recommendations that the Mueller team made were limited by an office of legal counsel, that's an office within the Department of Justice memo, that also dates from the time of uh, Nixon. Um, I, some of you who are um, as old as I am will remember that Nixon's vice president, Spiro Agnew, had to resign in disgrace because he um, had he was, I think, guilty of fraud or whatever. There is actually a podcast series done by Rachel Maddow about called The Bagman, I believe, about um, his criminal activities. But the Office of Legal Counsel at that time wrote a memo uh, saying that a president, sitting president, could not be indicted because they didn't think they could get Nixon to force Agnew to resign if he didn't feel he himself, Nixon, was protected from a similar indictment. They did not intend that that document survive the next 50 years. And never be challenged in the Supreme Court. And and by the way, it's a testimony to how well our government usually works that that decision is 50 years old or that memo later updated during the Obama administration for clarification purposes. Uh, that, that principle has stood for half a century and not had to go to the Supreme Court to be tested. And that's what might change in this situation. Okay, because um, in this situation, if we believe the witnesses, if we believe the thousand eleven hundred, I did I did measure how many pages I haven't read them all um, of testimony has been released. Then you know we would find the president unable, um, unless he perjured himself, to say that he had no involvement in the actual. Um, the legal term is extortion, um, the plot itself. But we don't, you know, that's one of the things that should be explored in public hearings. Um, but if you go back to, let's talk about public hearings. Let's talk about a thousand pages of transcripts. 
most of which are pretty damning. Let's talk about John Bolton, who says, oh, I'm not going to talk unless the courts make me. Oh, please subpoena me so I can talk. John Bolton's going to sell a really, really, really good, you know, best-selling book. Um, he's going to make enough money that he won't care if Fox rehires him or not. Um, or if CBS, which is now trying to move into that center-right space, um, um, is interested in having him as a uh, commentator. Um, he's going to make a bloody fortune on a book. But one of the things that really is very different in this situation is not just the complexity of what happened um, and the interagency complexity between Office of Management and Budget, Congressional appro Legal Appropriations, the State Department, the Pentagon, National Security Council. I mean, there was just there's just so much ether around it. And in 1974, it wasn't that complicated. Once we got to public testimony, well, you know what? There were only three networks. There wasn't two, weren't 200 cable channels you could choose from. And so nightly replays, the, the best, you know, the primetime TV watching in those days was the nightly replays and sometimes live testimony um, of, of the uh, witnesses in front of Sam Irwin's committee. And Sam Irwin himself was such character that if, you ha if you're too young to remember uh, or too young you know, to have seen and, and have any memory of uh, those hearings— Go and do a Google search, and I'm sure you will find it on YouTube or on C-SPAN's archive. But uh, Sam Irwin was, um, you know, I'll, let's just say that Adam Schiff is no Sam Irwin. Um, but when Sam Irwin came on television in July of 1974 um, and introduced a witness, I'll tell you that everything else in the household stopped. Everybody gathered around the television set. And Republicans in the House and the Senate began to see that situation as increasingly untenable for the president and for their own political futures. And that's why I say the president will probably be the Republican standard bearer because there is such fear in the um, elected uh, majority in the Senate and minority in the House that uh, if they were to um, support impeaching the president, that they would be primaried from the right. Um, and on a different Sunday, let's talk about primary elections and why they're so dangerous. But that's not the topic for today. Um, I still see that um, that concern being um, a dominant theme in Republican thinking as we go to live, as we go to televised um, testimony, some of which will be reported, repeated on your nightly news. But, you know, if you don't work too hard at it, if you've got two or three favorite uh, reality type shows like The Voice or Dancing with the Stars, um, see, I am culturally woke. I'm not telling you I watch those programs, but I know they exist. Um, oh, I watch them. 
I watch The Voice sometimes, but I'm not a big Kelly Clarkson fan. I mean, I she she's just, kind of annoying. Yeah, after a while, she's I a just, little bit too bubbly and. Oh, if she would somebody find the off button, please. Yeah. I mean, I used to watch that program loyally, but after the second round of Kelly, I just I you know somebody please find they gave her a talk show. I can't believe that. I know. Can't she just just talk on the talk show and and give somebody else a chance on The Voice? Uh, it would be nice, but um, but but we digress. So um, what I, all all I'm saying is that if you make half an effort at it, you can stay in your filter bubble um, without any problem and never hear any of the live testimony that changed public opinion in 1974 from being way, way, way more aggressively against impeachment than we see the current polls um, and um, and and turn that around in a matter of two weeks. Yeah, I think there's already a, a, a real high amount of uh, just impeachment fatigue. I think we're the- I think we're just exhausted, period. Yeah, I think there's just this this whole we've I mean, the Democrats have been trying to get rid of Trump since the day he got in or since the day he got elected. And yeah, they're just no, the using morning whatever, after the morning after they were picketing in front of Trump right, Tower. They're already the, you know, the, their whole thing has been to get him out. They were writing the Russia uh, Mueller thing for a long time. That didn't work out. Now they're they're, they're now it's all about quid pro quo. And it's I think people are just tired of it. Just tune it out. It becomes white noise. I think people are just tired, period. There is there is apparently there are some polls that say, you know, as many as 74 percent of registered voters say they really plan to vote in November uh, to vote in 2020. Now, we will see if that actually happens. But I, I think a lot of the president's approval numbers are just an exhaustion with the careening from one place to, you know, from for the Syria thing, the, you know, we're out, we're in, we're, you know, um, all of this, all of the shady stuff that goes on, um, the Donald Jr. on, you know, on on The View, and no, I didn't, I, I, I do, I will admit that I do, um, DVR the view I watch it sometimes wait he was on the view he was on the view this Recent? week. yes Donald Jr. spent a whole hour on the view this week and, wow did and, jo- did, did, and I only know about this because there was a, a very short clip um of, of Joy and, Behard's head exploding no of Megan of Megan McCain going after him um with gangbusters like gangbusters without raising her voice um, you know, she actually, without getting overly emotional, really put him in a corner where the only thing he could say was, I'm really sorry about your dad. Um, and and um, yeah, Vince, who has now taken us way off course, is now saying to as, me as per usual that we need to go and take a break. But we'll go take a break and we'll come back and finish this conversation because it is important. That exhaustion factor is real. You're listening to Reimagine America 
For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And and I think we've pretty much beaten this horse to um, you know, into the ground. Um but but there are some unknowns. There are some things we don't know yet uh, that could have a big influence on whether or not this very divided country um, decides that it really wants to impeach this president rather than go to a 2020 general election. Um, you know, I if you go back to reimagineamerica.org, you will find a lot of material from 2016 in which you know, I've made the argument that, in fact, um, voting is a hiring decision. You're hiring somebody to do a job for you, to either represent you in Congress um, as a representative or, you know, be part of the cooling saucer of the Senate, or you're in electing an executive to run, you know, the, the apparatus of government and the country and and be, in fact, the most powerful person on earth. Um, it is a hiring decision. And so there is a lot of thought that has to go into making, removing that person um, from office without a vote of the people who hired him. It, it really should be the people who fire him, which is why this impeachment process has only been only happened in um, uh, three times in in the um, history of the republic, um, and we don't know yet. Remember, we're in an inquiry to see whether or not Congress should uh, enact articles of impeachment, okay? Um, and there are some court cases right now which are going to have an impact on what happens in the Judiciary Committee of the House and what kind of report they eventually send to the floor of the House uh, and eventually, in this case, probably means before Christmas. So, you know, we, we've got a question here as to whether or not um, the courts are going to in be are going to make the decision. Are going to break the tie. Are going to be, in fact, um, change the current dynamic. And we can say that because John Bolton is very has been very clear. He sent a five page his attorneys sent a five page letter to Adam Schiff saying, "I know a bunch of stuff that nobody else knows." But I am only going to come under subpoena while a court case is pending uh, to be decided in early December as to whether or not the president has the power to tell a current or former subordinate that they cannot categorically are not allowed to testify before Congress. That would on its face not be a constitutional statement, but so far... Um, people like Don McGahn have resisted 
congressional subpoenas and Congress has resisted their impulse to want to send the Capitol Police after Don McGahn. So that will go to court in early December. And whether or not he is compelled to testify under a subpoena will influence whether John Bolton comes forward, whether uh, John um, Eisenberg, who is the uh, National Security Council attorney who's at the center of this whole discussion, whether those people are forced to testify. And that could change public opinion. Um, There is now some interest in an earlier White House um, activity around the sale of Javelin missiles to the previous Ukrainian um, administration. We will see what that brings us. Um, And the United States Court of Appeals has ruled um, in, in, in New York that no, President Trump does not have a general immunity from investigation. That will go now to the Supreme Court. And we will know before Christmas whether or not the Supreme Court decides to hear argument on the appeal of that case. The legal speculation is that they will not, that they will lean on the Nixon decision. You knew I'd get back to Nixon. Um, Eight to nothing that um, he had to turn over the tapes, that no, he was not immune from investigation. He was immune as long as he was a sitting president from prosecution, but not from investigation. And I think that's quite fundamental in the Constitution, which grants to Congress, the people's representatives, the power of impeachment of the executive but does not give the executive any similar power. So the founder's intent was very clear. Now, because the facts appear to be so uncompromisingly not good for the president, um, Republicans have uh, resorted to some stunts, um, and we expect some smears. Uh, as I walked into the studio this morning, um, I could I, I heard again uh, the president demanding the identity of the whistleblower. Well, after he stood in the United Nations General Assembly hall and said that the um, the whistleblower was a traitor, and you know how we used to treat traitors. Um, the United States Marshal Service is apparently providing protection to whomever this person is because there is fear for their physical safety. And I think that Messrs. Meadows and Nunez and Jordan should be conscious of that fact. In this country, awash with, with weapons, that weaponizing Um, with your mouth, um, a portion of the population puts this person's physical safety and his his or her family safety at risk. And and there's no reason, nothing that's in that initial statement from the inspector general has not been confirmed by other people. So there's no reason except as a stunt to want to get this um, whistleblower out in public in violation of the whistleblower statutes. But didn't uh, uh, 
Donald Jr. tweet out the whistleblower's name? I mean, then the guy, the, the whistleblower's name is out. Um, the mainstream media is not printing it, and I don't believe anything I read in Drudge. How about that? Uh, this is something I saw on Twitter. He tweeted it. Well, it, 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 I, do you believe anything you, everything you read on Twitter? Yes. Are you telling me it, there, there's things on the internet that aren't true? I, I think so. I mean, you know, um, isn't it, isn't it Mark Zuckerberg, king of the internet, who says um, it would be a violation of free speech to make sure that people didn't lie on Facebook in ads, in political ads? So, now, I, I give Don Jr. about as much credence as, um, uh, as Drudge. So, you know, and the mainstream media and, and even um, uh, intelligence um, uh, committee chief, uh, Senator Richard Burr, said, um, we want to talk to the whistleblower, but we want to do it in a way that protects that person's identity. So, um, you know, I, I, I think at some point we probably will find out, but they were pretty good with Deep Throat for 40, 45 years. But here's the one thing that I do kind of find interesting. The Republicans want to call Hunter Biden. They want to try to change the subject. And, you know, I think they should be careful what they wish for. You know, this is a, you know, none, none of these guys are Perry Mason. So we should be careful what we wish for. Hunter Biden might turn out to be a very sympathetic witness when all is said and, and known. Um, and if you remember back on October 6th, um, we spent 45 minutes talking about there's nothing new about people who have proximity to the White House in the past or the present. Making money from that proximity, it doesn't make it criminal. But I will tell you one thing as we go to break. I, I think Joe Biden's candidacy for the presidency is over. Whatever happens in this impeachment process. I think the damage is already done, and for that, I'm going to say, you know, Donald Trump is politically incredibly effective. And on that note, we're going to go take a commercial break, and we'll come back and talk about what else could happen. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So, before we went to break, I asked the what if question. What if Hunter Biden comes off as sympathetic? It could happen. And boy, would that backfire on the Republican opposition. I mean, I think the Republicans would be best if they if they stuck to the facts, because I think Lindsey Graham said something which at first puzzled me. And then I chuckled about um, as the um, as the the ultimate um, you have to have malice. You have to establish, you know, um, 
high crimes, misdemeanors, uh, bribery, or treason to impeach a president. Um, And the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and a leading Russia hawk opined that he didn't intend to read the 1,100 or 1,200 pages, that's more like 2,000 pages, of transcribed testimony because, and he said this is his opinion, he said, look, this administration, and I'm going to quote him because it's just too good not to, this administration is incapable of putting together a coherent Ukraine strategy. Thus, they couldn't possibly put together a coherent quid pro quo. If you translate that from lawyer ease into English, and I will, what Lindsey Graham is saying is that incompetence is not impeachable. So all of that said, you know, there is certainly a rich field of Democratic primary uh, candidates who have the ego to believe that they could be the eventual nominee, the Donald Trump dragon slayer. And because there weren't enough people in and out of this race, Michael Bloomberg whispered on Thursday (sighs) while dining on an Upper East Side uh, French bistro that he might just decide to enter the Democratic primary race that he rode off a year ago. Well, of course, the folks in New Hampshire said, well, that's outrageous. And the and the people who are planning to caucus in Iowa said, oh, he didn't come and shake our hands. And therefore, he is not should not be in this you know contest because he didn't come and, and deal with us. Michael Bloomberg is one of the richest men on earth, self-made billionaire. He's going to run a 13 state Super Tuesday campaign, mainly on the airways. And one of the reasons for that is that Michael Bloomberg is not a really catchy, personable guy in person, but he was a very effective mayor of one of the world's largest cities. And as I said, a self-made, he made an industry, you know, the Bloomberg machines that you see in every single brokerage office in America and on every online brokerage service as well. You know, that's something he invented from scratch. He's got some cred. And you know, what changed from a year ago? (laughs) Definitely what we just spent the last half hour talking about makes Donald Trump look like a more vulnerable candidate. And then Michael Bloomberg looked at the field and he said, hey, you know, what's another septuagenarian among friends? Especially when one of those septuagenarians is Elizabeth Warren. Holy moly, he doesn't think that Elizabeth Warren is electable. And he sees a second term of Donald Trump as dangerous to the economy as well as the Constitution. And he's an unambiguous capitalist. And he does, and, and he agrees with my assessment that Joe Biden is the walking dead politically. Michael Bloomberg's running for a very simple reason. He detests Donald Trump, and nothing would make him happier than to be the dragon slayer. And you know what? He can afford the fight. You know what? What I think is really going on in his brain trust, um, in his own head, is if he can do well enough on Super Tuesday, when there are 13 primaries, um, he may not be the Democratic nominee. But if Elizabeth or Bernie is the nominee, 
he could stay on his high-rise balcony or his east or, or dining in his uh, Upper East Side uh, French bistro, and 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 this time, and I think this is where Michael Bloomberg is going. This time, he could run a third-party candidacy in the general election because he didn't do it in 2016 only in only out of fear that his third party candidacy would throw the election into a house republican house majority house of representatives well the democrats have now over the last 3 years incre- not only taken the majority but increased the size of their majority and he doesn't fear that anymore and he sees himself as a moderate Democrat, in, in a, as, as a moderate alternative looking at a Nancy Pelosi-led House of Representatives to either Trump or Warren. And that is where Michael Bloomberg is going. And we'll be back in just a moment with a couple of closing thoughts. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And just because we've, you know, spent the last 40 minutes speculating about what could happen, might happen, Against my better judgment, I ordered a copy of Warning by Anonymous. And it will arrive in time for our post-Thanksgiving Day show. I make you no promises that you'll hear a word about it from me, but we'll see. Perhaps the most interesting thing about the whole book will be the guessing game about who is the author or authors. I have my own guess, and I did confide it to one absolutely trustworthy friend who thinks I could be correct, but my lips are sealed. And I will tell you that Warning is, at this moment, the number one bestseller on Amazon. And that means that a first printing of the book will be 500,000 copies to be distributed in a nation of 40 million Which says something about our literacy. And another comment on our literacy may be that the Washington Post is planning to publish, also in November, a graphic, yes, a comic book version of the Mueller report to make it more digestible. But while we are waiting for warning, I need to remind you once again that we have been waiting for three full years for Infrastructure Week. And the rest of the world is not standing still waiting for us to focus on our crumbling infrastructure. If you want to learn more about some of the topics we've discussed today or listen to a podcast of this program, go to ricochet.com or reimagineamerica.org and hit the radio button and you'll find the blog, the podcast version of the, of the show. Um, Just this last week, I did post at reimagineamerica.org, a blog that argues for a different sort of Democratic presidential primary debate forum. You can take a look just for kicks. And, and, And on that note, Chuck Todd of NBC's Meet the Press asked a compelling question this week. He asked 
are we going to be able to govern ourselves if 50% of the country doesn't trust the other 50% back to the last 45 minutes? It got me thinking about how the Democrats could make their endless series of debates without Michael Bloomberg a part of the solution rather than a continuation of the problem. That blog will be up on Wednesday of this week, and I'll remind you of that next Sunday. And in the meantime, have a wonderful Sunday and an exciting week. Maybe catching a few minutes of the live testimony in the impeachment inquiry of Donald J. Trump. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.